I had no chemo from January 2019 after finishing six months of chemotherapy and the hysterectomy. And I was completely clear. I think my CA125 was probably like four or five, which is excellent. Very good year. And come November 2019, started getting pain in the back and like sort of a kidney kind of pain, did a scan, did blood test, and the cancer was back. This time, ovarian cancer, but in the lymph glands. In 2019, the cancer came back. And after everything that we had been through the first time, this was a crushing blow. This is Overlooked, a podcast about ovarian cancer. I'm Golda Arthur, and you just heard the voice of my mom, Teresa Arthur. My mom reminded me that there was one thing to be positive about. Although this was the same type of cancer, it was in a different place, the lymph glands, which means it hadn't metastasized and it hadn't spread widely. It was present in three different places in her body this time around. Hearing this news of a recurrence shocked me down to my core. As the sort of emotional dust cleared, though, I started to remember things. The dandelion analogy that Emily Chasson talked about. You know, when you blow a dandelion and all of the little pieces of it float out, that that's what ovarian cancer's like. We thought all the little pieces were mopped up through surgery and six debilitating rounds of chemotherapy. But I guess some of those tiny pieces, just a few cells is all it takes. I guess they got away. Then I remembered something else, something that I guess I knew in my mind all along because I'd heard it said out loud at some point, but something that I had just buried because it was too painful to think about. When we treat people that present with advanced disease, we know that we get a response to the first chemotherapy, but we know that a lot of them are going to get recurrent disease within the next 18 months or so. When mom had cancer the first time around, I called one of her oncologists at the time. Dr. James Bentley is head of the oncology department at the QE2 Health Sciences Center in Halifax. And we treat them again and we treat them again. At the time, it took me a second to process what he was saying. Would you be able to say what percentage of women that comes back? Bearing in mind that if I'm talking about motor ovarian cancer, I'm talking about stage three or four disease. And somewhere between uh, 50% to 80% of those will come back. And that's the problem. Like for recurring chemotherapy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not something you can treat once and it goes away and we don't see people coming back that often, which is like the picture you see with most breast cancer. We see breast cancer in younger women. They get their surgery, they get their radiation, the chemotherapy, and most of the time they don't have to come back. Whereas with ovarian cancer, it's an older patient population and often the cancer will come back. Wow, this is a, a tough nut to, to it, it is. It's a hard cancer to deal with because of that. You know, you get responses to chemotherapy, but you also get the cancer outsmarting us. The cancer outsmarting us. When your loved one has made it through one round of cancer at stage four, the last thing you want to know is that there is an 80% chance it will come back. But... I guess that's why I buried this little bit of information at the time. Of course, Dr. Bentley was right, and come back it did. So why can't we see it coming? 
As women, once a year at the gynecologist, we check our breasts for lumps. We get on a table, shove our feet in stirrups, and have a cold metal tool inserted in us, which takes a little scraping of cells from our cervix. That test checks for cervical cancer, allowing us to at least try and get ahead of it. So why not an ovarian cancer screening? I put that question to Alison Ross, a medical sociologist from Ovarian Cancer Canada. The unfortunate reality is that the most common type of ovarian cancer, it spreads when the cells are so, so small, like a grain of sand. And and the blood tests and the imaging technology that we have at this point in time, they're just not sensitive enough to, to pick up something that's so small. A lot of people mistakenly think that they're protected from ovarian cancer because they've had the HPV vaccine and because they are getting regular pap tests. And that's fantastic. Keep doing that. Um, but those are for cervical cancer, not for not for ovarian. How come we're in this position where we're taking breast cancer and cervical cancer, for example, where we're dealing with them in a processed way completely differently than ovarian cancer? Yeah, because the technology is there for those cancers. And we just don't have that for ovarian cancer. There's just no tools at their disposal except understanding symptoms, knowing family history. But yeah, I mean, when you compare it to other types of cancers, you brought up cervical and breast. I would also think prostate cancer in men. There's management plans in there. None of the tests we have right now are good enough. And just to complicate things even more, it turns out it's not even just the ovaries that we should be screening and checking. More on that after the break. I wanted to pause for a quick second to tell you about our website, overlookedpod.com. You can find out more about the podcast and get in touch with us here. And you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this. Now, back to the show. Here's one of mom's oncologists again, Dr. James Bentley. The other problem we have is that we call this ovarian cancer, but a lot of it comes from the fallopian tube, the little tube that sort of allows eggs to come from the ovary into the uterus every month and the chance you get pregnant. At the end of the tube is where the cancer comes from in about... 60, 70% of ovarian cancers. And as soon as there's several cells there, one could have spread and gone somewhere else in the belly, and it might not cause a big mass that you could detect on an uh, imaging test. So it becomes very difficult to detect things early on. The fallopian tubes. In the course of this podcast, I'm on a journey to find out more about ovarian cancer. But I'm beginning to realize that even though it's called ovarian cancer, the fallopian tubes play an outsized role in this story. Now, this is a brand new discovery for me and a relatively new discovery for science. And when I say relatively, I'm talking about the last 10 years or so. These findings that the cancer often starts at the end of the fallopian tubes, the bit that looks like fingers, this has opened up new avenues to trying to find better ways to fix this problem of screening. I found someone who's trying to do just that. Fix the Problem of Screening the Fallopian Tubes. My name is Jennifer Barton. I'm a PhD in biomedical engineering. Jennifer Barton directs the Bio5 Institute at the University of Arizona. So it's known that in all types of cancers, the earlier that you can detect the cancer, the more likely a successful treatment can be implemented. And that's especially true in ovarian cancer. If you can catch ovarian cancer when it's still confined to the fallopian tubes or confined just locally, then the chances of a successful cure are 90% or greater. So we really do want to catch it early. 
But that was a challenge. And in fact, for many, many years, physicians didn't really understand why they didn't see early ovarian cancer. So knowing that you could look in the fallopian tubes brought around a whole new idea of screening. Now all we have to do is get into the fallopian tubes. We don't actually have to get to the ovaries. So Okay, so that's only a monstrously hard challenge instead of an almost impossible challenge. To take on that monstrously hard challenge, Jennifer and her team have created a new device called the Falloposcope. Okay, welcome to the sound inside my head. When I first heard it, it made me think of a fairground roller coaster ride. But no, a Falloposcope is actually an endoscope, a camera that goes inside your body in this case, inside the fallopian tubes. The falloposcope is a very tiny endoscope that can go up through the vagina and the uterus and into the fallopian tubes. The fallopian tubes are very tiny, so we have to make our endoscope less than a millimeter in diameter in order to be able to go into them. And the reason we want to go into the fallopian tubes is because it's now understood that the most deadly forms of ovarian cancer actually start in the fallopian tubes and can exist there for years. So if we can go into the fallopian tubes and and take a look around and maybe sample some cells, we can potentially have something that is analogous to a pap smear, but for ovarian cancer. I'm trying to imagine the size of this thing. Yes. So a millimeter in diameter, that's uh, you know about the size of a pencil lead, maybe a little bigger. So it's a very tiny endoscope. It's flexible because it has to be able to go through the tubes, which have twists and turns and are different in every woman. So a little bit like ultrasound, but on a much smaller scale. The idea behind this device is that it could be used as a screening tool for ovarian cancer. Jennifer likens it to a colonoscopy. In terms of the procedure itself, it's more invasive than a pap test, which is used to detect cervical cancer and which can be done in a short visit to your gynecologist. Right now, patients need to be sedated before the procedure. The falloposcope has been in development for 20 years now, and it's in early stage trials. Technological advances have made it possible for tiny devices to take good pictures inside small, dark places in your body. It's so exciting nowadays that the advances in optics and photonics and materials make it so we can make something like a submillimeter diameter flexible endoscope that just simply wasn't possible 10 years ago. I want to say that since, for example, since five years ago when my mom first was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and since I started looking into it, it seems like, or perhaps I should say it feels like, the needle is kind of starting to move in several different ways, whereas it was stuck for a long time. But Jennifer, would you agree that there objectively is some movement on the needle in tackling this particular cancer on the scientific front, on the research front? Yes, I think that there's all kinds of advances that are happening, and it is exciting to see I'll tell you a little bit about why I got involved in this project. And that was because I, I, I'm a biomedical engineer. I build tools. And so I need somebody to tell me what problem needs to be solved. And I was 
basically accosted by a gynecological surgeon who came to me and said, you have to help solve this problem of ovarian cancer. It's so difficult for me because I have patients who come in with these symptoms that get diagnosed with ovarian cancer. I perform surgery. I'm able to knock back the cancer. They do well for a while, and then the cancer recurs and it ends up killing them. And she said, these patients are my friends. I'm tired of losing them. So come up with a solution. <laughs> and, you know, we tried for a number of years. This was 20 years ago when this happened. And we knew that the optical technologies that I was working on could detect late stages of ovarian cancer. But because of this dual problem, one not understanding what early ovarian cancer was or where you should even look for it, and because the technology just wasn't there to make miniature endoscopes, everything was kind of on hold. And I think several things have changed. The science is better. We understand the origin of ovarian cancer better. We know what to look for. Frankly, I think the other thing that's happened is people talk about ovarian cancer more now this greater awareness, a greater acceptance of women's health issues in general. So all of that work and the technology developments and the, the increases in the science are leading to, I think, a whole new day for being able to both detect early and also to be able to treat ovarian cancer. Well, that's, that's great. And then my last question for you is, what keeps you doing the work that you do. I imagine you've had your share of setbacks in your work in the philoposcope and, and beyond. And what is it that keeps you in place and pushing forward? Well, it's it's people. It's actually it's people like you. You know, hearing your story, knowing that I have the ability as a biomedical engineer to maybe make a device that could lead to a different outcome for women in the future who have a surety of knowing they may have a risk for a disease, but there's something they can do to take control and to monitor and make sure they stay healthy. I had a good friend who passed away from ovarian cancer. She was very young in her 30s. And it wasn't detected until it was very late. And, and she succumbed over many years and, and in a terrible way. I, I don't want that to happen anymore. So I'm motivated by that. I'm an engineer. I love to solve problems. This seems like a problem that's worthy of solving. And setbacks and disappointments are just part of the picture. But the exciting part is that if you look back over the 20 years, we've made a ton of progress. And it's just a really exciting thing to do. And I, I look forward to making this the highlight of my career. I'm chipping onions while I talk because... This is a diary from November of 2019. Mom is in the kitchen in Halifax. Before Christmas, she usually spends a lot of time preparing traditional Goan dishes like Vindalu. It means chopping a ton of onions, marinating a lot of meat and spices for many hours. It's a lot of work, takes a lot of time, but cooking is coping, as we say. Mom was ending 2019 with another six rounds of chemotherapy ahead of her. Okay, I am uh, making Vindalu today. It's Saturday, the uh, 6th of November, and I got my diagnosis yesterday with three places being affected. Looks like the cancer is doing a little bit of a Christmas traveling, but nothing that I'm worried about. I'm going to start making the sorpatel. 
And I think my masala on the stove has burnt a little bit. Anyways, to go back to the health issue. Everything's fine. I'm feeling good. Energetic enough to stir this slightly burnt vindaloo masala, which looks good, but I don't know how it tastes. So this is for Christmas when the family comes in. We are fine. Robin and I are fine. We'll be fine. We'll be okay. God will take us through this and as he has all our lives. So looking forward to whatever's coming up so that it will be done and done kind of. But in the meantime, keep calm and carry on. Overlooked is written and produced by me, Golda Arthur. Our associate producer is Jessica Martinez-Dios. Lisa Soep is our editor, and Eric Gomez is our sound designer and engineer. Please share this episode with someone who would like to listen as well. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We're a small show, and every little bit helps. And for more information about the show, check out our website, www.overlookedpod.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.